Welcome to the Mind Mapping Show with Mind Mapping Specialist Michael Tipper, bringing you the right information right now to help you understand, use, and apply this amazing technique. Join us each week to discover gems to help you quickly and easily boost your creativity, stimulate your memory, and supercharge your thinking. It has never been easier to tap into even more of your brain's potential using this simple tool. Now, here is your host, the mind mapping maestro himself, Michael Tipper. Hi, this is Michael from the Mind Mapping Show, and I'm on a mission to find ordinary people who are successfully using mind mapping and find out what they're doing and how they're doing it. Now, I'm very privileged to have today's guest on the line to share his experiences in using this powerful toll. Toll, a tool even, um, a system software analyst and an established expert in virtualization and cloud computing, the author of Virtualization, a Manager's Guide, it is my pleasure to welcome Dan Kuznetsky to the call. Dan, welcome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, I really appreciate um, you sharing some of your valuable time in, in telling us about how you use mind mapping. Uh, but first of all, what I want to do is just find out a little bit more about what you do. So virtualization, what's all that about? Well, virtualization is a technique in use of computer technology that was established in the early 1960s by companies such as IBM and a company that's not around anymore called Burroughs. It's now part of Unisys. But the idea is to take excess capacity that the machine has that might be processing power, memory, storage, networking bandwidth, and use that excess capacity to create a totally artificial environment that has some beneficial features. So, for example, in the case of processing virtualization, it's possible to take a single computing system and make it pretend to be multiple computer systems that are all separate from one another. This would allow isolation of one task from another or, in the case of a multi-tenant environment, allow one complete company's operations to be totally separate from another company's operations, even though they're sharing the same physical computer. What sort of applications might um, a layperson like myself be, uh, be familiar with that that would be applied in? Well, let me go down the list. There are seven different layers of virtualization technology that have been in broad usage since the 1960s. And I'll just go down the stack and say how it could potentially be used. There is access virtualization. This would allow an application to communicate with a remote device without necessarily making it a requirement that either side know much about the other. This would allow, for example, an application that was written in the 1960s and was designed to work with a uh, block mode terminal for data entry and have that application be accessible by a person today using a tablet computer. The tablet might think it's talking to a website. The uh, software running on the server might think it's talking to one of the terminals that it's known about for decades. The magic in the middle is using software technology to capture each uh, communic- point of communication and convert it to what the other side can use. 
Then there's application virtualization that allows applications to continue to run on newer versions of an operating system, even though there would be incompatibilities. The new operating system thinks it's running one of its own applications. The older application thinks it's running in the environment that it was built for. So would that be something like, um, if you take the evolution of Windows over the years, something that may have run on, say, Windows XP, um, that, uh, say, something that was designed for sort of Windows NT could run on Windows XP, is that the sort of thing that you're talking about? Yes, that's it exactly. Then, uh, as far as processing virtualization, this is five different types of things, ranging from making one computer appear to be many, This would be either virtual machine software, such as that offered by VMware, Microsoft, or Citrix. And the other end of the spectrum is making many machines act as if they were a single computing resource. Sometimes these are called clusters. Is is that so that you can take advantage of the the large scale of computing power onto a big task rather than having a massive machine? You sort of get lots of workers doing the the job. Is that that the sort of principle? That's one, one of the uses of that technology, that is to take a task that can be split up into pieces and run on many machines, sometimes thousands, and give pieces of work to each of the thousands of machines so it can be executed more rapidly. An example I'm sure all of the listeners have seen is the uh, digital images seen in today's modern action movies. They may, or animated pictures, where a graphics uh, program might be used to create individual frames that are seen in the movie, and a single computer is given a frame to process. And, you know, if you know typical movies, it takes 24 frames every second to make an image that we can see. So you could take an hour-long movie and maybe spread it over two or 3,000 computers so that it could be rendered quickly enough to be commercially uh, viable to have that as a product. Oh, wow. I see now. Another use of this technology is to break up very large amounts of data so that it's even possible to process them. Uh, One example is maybe a retailer has three or 4,000 stores in a country, and they want to understand customer buying behavior. So they make the cash registers keep track of each sale, you know, the total receipt, Mm -hmm. what was in the shopping cart, and then maybe do analysis of all of that data to determine which product is the most commonly sold in each store and what products are most commonly seen in the same shopping basket with that product. And then it would be possible to know which products to ship to which stores. It would be possible to generate a sale and send out an advertisement that says, come and buy this product and then arrange the store so that all of the other products typically seen in the shopping basket are seen on the way to where that product is located in the store. The idea, of course, is to sell more products. But the only way that would work is to customize what was in the store to what the particular region or city or town likes to purchase. Here in the United States, an example might be if a person lives in the northern part of the country, winter coats and heavy clothing might be very desirable at some times of the year. 
In the southern regions of the country, winter coats and heavy clothing are probably never sold. So why stock all of the stores in the country with the same exact merchandise? So you're saying that the, the, this, using virtualization, this allows this huge computing task to be done more efficiently and more effectively? That's it, exactly. Now, is this the same principle that uh, when you hear on the web of um, people who, uh, the hackers who take control of uh, people's computers to do a, a denial of service attack on, on various um, uh, facilities, is that, the, is that the principle, is that the dark side of virtualization? I, I think that any tool can be helpful or can hurt. And I think that you've picked up an example of how processing virtualization can be turned to do bad things. And the same concept is being applied regardless of whether someone is trying to break into a government system by having millions of individual home PCs attack that system. Or the same technology might be being used by a pharmaceutical company to test out a new drug without necessarily having to try it out on people first. Sure, sure. So, I mean, virtualization then is a complete, uh, well, it's a very important part of our daily lives, I suppose, without without us lay people really realizing it. I I think the challenge is that uh, virtualization is involved in almost every aspect of computing. And one or two very large companies have successfully used their marketing dollars or pounds or or euros to convince people that virtualization is what they do rather than the broad category of virtualization. And that causes some confusion for people. And so uh, people have a tendency when they hear the word virtualization to think about making one machine act as many if they think about virtualization at all, rather than thinking about creating an artificial environment for many purposes. Okay. Now, you've written the book, um, The Virtualization and Manager's Guide. With uh, the knowledge that you've got, what sort of, what, what sort of uh, work do you actually do within this field? Well, as an industry analyst, I'm, you might think of my company and me in particular As a coach for hire, the people who I work with and I have been around the computer industry for, in some cases, more decades than we'd like to mention. (laughs) We've earned our white hair or bald head, as the case may be. And we've been product managers, product marketing managers, software and hardware engineers, Uh, We've helped people install systems. We've written custom programming. We've helped develop products from the first thought about what a product should look like to the final delivery to the market as a product. The people in the company chose to step aside from continuing to work for a specific software or hardware supplier and offer advice and guidance on technology to suppliers and users in governmental organizations. So we keep track of what's going on in the market, what technologies are becoming available, analyzing where and how they might be used, and this might include conducting surveys, panel uh, studies, 
focus groups, or just analyzing financial details of the hardware and software suppliers to try and best understand the market dynamics. And then we provide that information either in the form of an advisory service or develop custom content for those people, uh, the organizations or end users who purchase this to better understand technology so they can make more effective decisions about what they should be purchasing and maybe what technology they should avoid. Now, I suppose with the with technology moving as fast as it does, you must have to keep up with a tremendous amount of information. That is at least true to a certain extent, but I think that what happens is people in the information technologies industries have a tendency to pick one or two topics in which they are very interested and they follow those in very great detail and leave the rest of the market to be followed by somebody else. Okay. That's the reason why you, if you read my uh, bio on the sites where I publish, it's very specifically system software. This is software that runs computers so people don't have to think about how they work. Virtualization technology and cloud computing infrastructure, which in many cases is actually virtualization technology. Right. I don't try and follow, for example, database technology to any great depth, even though earlier in my career I was a database analyst. I don't try to follow in any enormous detail mobile operating systems or mobility in general, although occasionally the topic of mobility and virtualization cross, and then I'm interested at that intersection point. So there are quite a number of different aspects, and there are also different uses of that knowledge. Some people will write books, such as the book that you you mentioned that I wrote earlier in uh, 2010, or they might write syndicated research, they might speak at events, they might do training uh, programs, they might also um, do advisory work. Some people will take that same knowledge and use it to help people to develop custom programming or custom processes and procedures. So there's a broad opportunity to use in-depth knowledge. It really depends on the interests and uh, skills and talents of the, the practitioner. It's um, it sounds like a, a fascinating a fascinating world with the um, with the knowledge you have and the experience you have to share and the and the collaboration and uh, the the problem solving and, and bringing all your knowledge to bear to help people. Now the, the reason why we're speaking is because um, I picked up on on one of the websites that you are featured on that you use mind mapping to help you do this. How did you discover mind mapping? I used to be a uh, employee of a computer company which no longer exists. It was called Digital Equipment Corporation. It was known in the industry as DEC. And DEC was purchased by Compaq Computers, and then Compaq was purchased by Hewlett-Packard. So digital equipment is a footnote in computing history. But digital equipment had a series of educational programs available to managers, uh, cleverly called Digital Management Education, or DME. In order right. to tell computer people love to talk in acronyms. <laughs> it, um, it's a nice shortcut, but it also can really be confusing to people. 
But one of the courses for beginning managers at digital equipment was a course in organizing your thoughts for presentations and planning. I don't actually recall the name of the course, but one of the important components was to read a book by a gentleman called Tony Bazan. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have the book in front of me, so I don't recall the name, but it was his first book. And we studied the book. We studied mind mapping as a technique. And then as part of the course, each one of us built a mind map to help plan the next product or the next service that our group was going to offer as a product. And each one of us had an opportunity to present that map to the class, hear their constructive criticism, and then take that fully constructed map back to our organization so that that plan could be executed. And it was a very, very useful uh, class. I took several follow-on courses and I've been using mind mapping as a tool since um, I first took that course in the early 1980s. So, so early 1980s. One of the things that does surprise me is, with it having been around so long, is how few people know about it. So you did that in the 1980s. I think the book um, that you referred to in the UK was called Use Your Head, but I know it was called something different in the US. But it is a fabulous book. And it's one of the ones I, I recommend. So uh, w- would you say that um, by nature you're very much a technical, logical sort of person? I, I'm very much an uh, analytical, technical person. But I also would add that my mind operates by jumping from one thing to another to another based upon these random associations. And so right. quite often it's very difficult for me to construct a presentation or a plan that is useful for people who think in a different way. Mm. So my thinking is I'll start with one topic, it will lead me to the next, which will lead me to the next, which will lead me to the next, and after considering all of those elements, I will make a suggestion, we should do this. But in talking with many managers, they want to hear it in the reverse order. I'd like to hear your suggestion, and then if I ask for it, I'd like your supporting uh, mm. topics of why did you come to that. So I had to learn how to use the mind maps to lay out my thinking, organize it, and then present it literally in reverse order of how I thought about it to higher levels of management. And this uh, technique helped me to be successful not only at the computer company, but after I left the computer company, I went to a market research firm called International Data Corporation, known in the industry by the acronym IDC. And I started as a research manager for system software and eventually was vice president of the system software group. And I was at least attribute part of that success to the organization I was able to develop using mind maps. Oh, wow, that's impressive. Now, what were your first thoughts when you first saw the process, when you first saw mind mapping? Because at uh, at first sight, uh, I suppose back then, this would have been very much the hand-drawn varieties before software became good enough to, to replicate the technique. What were your first thoughts when you saw it? Well, at first I thought it looked odd, quite quite frankly. 
as, as the uh, group in the classroom talked about a topic, the instructor was constructing a map based upon what the classroom was saying. It was sort of a mind map to support brainstorming. Right. And I thought, how odd this is. And then when we were finished with the exercise and he showed us this map in color with hand-drawn, rather awkward-looking graphics of funny little pictures to capture thoughts, it dawned on me, it was kind of an epiphany, that this was a much more powerful organizational tool than merely writing an outline. Mm. Although you could use an outline tool such as the outline view in Microsoft Word or the slide um, view in PowerPoint, there are a number of tools that will allow a person to do an outline. And while this isn't as powerful as a colorful mind map that's graphically uh, uh, supported in graphics, it's nearly as powerful a tool and that's allowed me to do mind mapping type of exercises in handheld devices long before uh, what we think of today as smartphones. Oh, okay. So um, you you are adapting the process with the technology that was available and at the time. Let me give you an example of how that worked. Um, I, uh, on several occasions, had opportunities to fly into a major city to meet with IDC customer executives. And I would, while I was speaking to them, be creating a little map of what they said their requirements were, what their interests were, what the problems were that kept them up at night, what they would like to see happen in their organization but were having difficulty accomplishing. I would put that in a map. I would organize it and literally would present the map back to them when I got to their offices. Now, that may not sound all that impressive, but I might have been speaking to them in a taxi cab on the way to their offices and have the presentation ready to present, projected on a screen. And what was the impact of that on on the people you were talking to? Well, often that meant that my company would receive a consulting contract or sell a customer because quite often what's necessary to sell something is to present back to the person the pain they're feeling, Mm. help them see how the pain hurts, help them understand that there is a nice salve that can be put on the wound and make the pain go away, and how the product or service or company that you're representing can help them apply that salve and make the pain go away. So quite often the selling process is selling the customer their pain and the fact that you know what the pain is and how to fix it. It may not even, parenthetically, be the best way to fix it, but if people believe that you understand what they're going through, believe that there is an approach that you can offer that will help them, they often will will purchase it from you. And, and do you think you could have been th- that effective in in doing that if you were just sort of taking normal conventional notes i before you, you before you understand that that mind mapping existed? I believe that it is possible because I have constructed mind maps out of post-it notes on the back of a book. 
Right. And then have presented from the post-it notes on the book, which, by the way, looked very odd. <laughs> um, it is possible to do that. But again, what I was doing was using a different tool to implement the same technique. And instead of drawing on a piece of paper, I would write individual topics on post-it notes and then link them together. Right. So right. I, I would say that anyone who is organized is probably using somewhat similar thinking process. This is just a tool that facilitates that. And I would dare say accelerates it as well. So basically you're saying that the the tool itself is a way of accelerating, making more efficient, more effective um, normal thinking processes that people may uh, may may have to use as part of their day-to-day job. But by using the mind mapping, what it does, it sort of um, uh, makes that more effective. Is that is that what you're saying? I, I'm saying something very similar to that. Uh, what it does is it gives the individual a possibility of engaging the analytical and creative parts of their mind together in harmony. And it's possible where it's appropriate to draw a little picture or use a graph or a color, and where appropriate, have lists of words or numbers or or something like that. And it comes together in a very harmonious, albeit somewhat strange-looking graphic, but it allowed me, for example, to present eight hours in a classroom with one sheet of paper as my notes. Wow. What was the topic? And that particular topic, it was a discussion of what does an operating system do? What are the right. components of an operating system? Examples of the use of each component. That was during a time where I was asked to uh, teach a class of operating systems internal uh, operating system internals that is what what is inside of an operating system such as Windows or Unix or Linux how does it work to uh, students at a university in Missouri which is in the central part of the United States and how long did it take you to prepare that if you just had a single page of paper to present from that actually was the result of several days of effort because I took many notes, but I boiled it down to a single page. And the whole point of that single page was not something that I would hand the students, but it was a whole page of reminders for me that would activate my memories that were generated by doing the research. So, for example, I might have uh, just the word scheduler, And I would then talk about how the component of the operating system, the scheduler, organizes and uh, controls the processing of individual tasks. And I, I, or I might be speaking about what is a file system and how does that store and organize information and applications so that they can be easily retrieved. So the mind map then was acting as the culmination of um, a whole uh, a massive amount of work for you to gather the ideas, your thoughts, and what it did. It captured the key processes which you then followed when you were delivering the training. Yes. And that same type of, of use has been useful 
Every time I write a report, every time I create a presentation for an event, and I've spoken at major computer conferences all over the world, it was used when I developed the book. And if you visit, say, for example, Amazon.com and look up my name, you'll see that I'm associated with either as author or editor or contributor to uh, over 50 different reports and books. And so it's, a, it's allowed you to become quite prolific then? Every single time, every single report started as a mind map. And some of the more advanced tools available today allow the mind map to be developed graphically and then saved in the form of an outline that can be picked up by a word processor so that the central core idea becomes the title. The first level branches off of that core idea become the top level headings. And the next level becomes second level headings. And so it's quite easy to just fill in the text because the main structure and flow of the document are right there in the map. It's a really powerful process. I wrote a book on memory improvement using exactly the same uh, approach, and it is extremely powerful, particularly with the software and the tools that we have today. Now, I'm going to ask um, uh, two questions that might sound like they're the same thing, but the questions are, what added value do you get in the process by using the tool? And then secondly, what are the benefits that you get from using my mapping? Uh, that is a difficult set of questions to distinguish between. But I, I okay. will try and give you a list of, of things that I think both are value but also are uh, benefits. Okay. First of all, it accelerates the process. And anyone who is in a, uh, working in a consultative uh, position their time is money. The more work that they can done and, uh, get done in the same unit of time, the more they can build their customers and the better off they will be as a business. It also allows the somewhat chaotic form of thinking that unfortunately I have to come out looking very detailed and very methodical, even though I didn't think that way. So I can start with a map and work over uh, work on it over several days, move things around, relate this to that by you know pointing from one topic to another and maybe writing a little note over the top of the connection arrow that says this is how these two topics are related. And by the time I'm through or by the time my time limit runs out and I have to present what I have, it appears to be extremely comprehensive, very detailed, uh, and maybe even exhaustive in scope, where I may not have sat down and did that all at once. I may have contributed little thoughts to it over a period of months, but it ends up appearing very, very structured and logical. So I look at it as it accelerates whatever process it's being applied to, and allows that process to be more completely thought out and the solutions being much more comprehensive and it is hoped better. Why do you think it works that way? 
I, this starts to move from the practical to the philosophical. I believe each and every one of us has capabilities that we are only dimly aware of because we seldom exercise them. That we are all our own geniuses if we would just learn how to apply what we are. And this is a tool that helps someone apply themselves in new ways, bringing out what they really know and what they can do, even though they may only partially be aware of it. So from a a philosophical point of view, I see it as a, a form of mirror that allows us to see ourselves or see a topic in much greater detail. Can you imagine yourself having achieved the same successes and results as you have without it? I don't think, unless I discovered some other tool that offered the same capabilities, that I would be doing what I do today. And it's allowed me to, I jokingly say, dig my way to the bottom of the heap of life. (laughs) And you've mentioned um, uh, writing your books, writing reports, um, and planning, and delivering presentations. Are are there any other uses that you apply it? Well, uh, I have one other thing that doesn't show up. Uh, I've got a couple of other hats that I wear, which, by the way, looks very odd and is difficult on a windy day. (laughs) Uh, I'm a member of the clergy of my church, and at one point I was the head of the organization in the state of Massachusetts in the United States. So I was not only working as an industry analyst, on the weekends and evening I was helping a religious organization grow. Every single time I presented at a meeting, presented at a church function, it was mapped out prior to my saying a word. And another thing that I do is I uh, own a real estate investment company. We buy and and operate multifamily housing projects for people. The idea is to give them quality housing. And the whole search for a new property, the whole analysis of whether or not a property will be a good choice You know, many times we're presented opportunities and we do the numbers and, you know, we would end up having to lose money every month to take advantage of that opportunity. In other words, it really wasn't a very good choice. Mm -hmm. But all of that is mapped out and discussed among the analysts in that company as well. Oh, wow. So you use it as a collaborative tool? I use it as a collaborative tool. There are tools like the... um, company called um, MindJet has mm, a product yes. called Mind Manager, and there's a version of Mind Manager that can be displayed on the screen of multiple computers, and multiple people can be adding to the map, moving it around, or adding comments to it. And then once the group has finished with its analysis, it can be saved by all of them, or printed, or turned into a more comprehensive document. And I believe that Tony Bazan's own IMAP will do something similar, but I don't know the details of that. Yes, I think IMAP does have the same facilities. And now, In the most primitive form, I've used an open source software product called FreeMind, and I've saved, saved maps in a form that uh, FreeMind supports and sent them as attachment to messages to other people who also use FreeMind. 
<clears throat> they can bring up that particular map, add to it, change it, send it back to me, and then I can gather together all the changes made by everyone and create a master mind map. And that process can be repeated over and over again until uh, a complex project is fully planned and ready for implementation. And, of course, the beauty of FreeMind is that it is free. Uh, it is free. It suffered a, a delay in development that caused another project to spin off from it. It's called forking in the industry. And so there is another FreeMind-based tool called FreePlane that was based on the original code of FreeMind. And there are people who are using that today as well. Do you, do you still do the hand-drawn version of my mapping? Uh, when I'm in a, a place, um, I'll give you an example. Yes, I do. I have done some consultation work with governmental entities that do not allow electronic devices to be brought into their facilities. Mm. So no cell phone, no laptop computers, nothing that potentially could hide um, uh, machinery that would be spying on their operations. Yes. <clears throat> All of them allow me to bring in a pencil, a pen, and a pad of paper. So notes can be made in the form of a mind map and then brought out and converted to uh, an electronic form if I so desire. Mm. I speak to uh, interview or take briefings from somewhere between seven and ten computer companies every week. Every single one of those is recorded in a mind map. And then I can go back and use the mind maps that I've created to string together the commentaries that you see published on ZDNet.com, Reese.com, or um, any of the BBC.co.uk places where some analysis that I've, I've conducted appears in print. So you find then where you're able to that primarily you use uh, software-driven mind mapping? Yes, I, I have FreeMind on my uh, laptop computer. I have a compatible piece of software on my iPad. I have a compatible but different piece of software on my Android cell phone. Uh, as a matter of interest, what do you use on your iPad? iPad, if you wait a moment, I always forget the name of the thing. Uh, let me open up the iPad. I know that um, as I've gotten older, I've developed a kitchen shelf memory. You know what that is? <laughs> no, please tell me. It, it's like a kitchen shelf. You put something on the front and stuff falls out the back. <laughs> Excellent. And this particular tool is called iThoughts HD. Ah, yes, my favorite app. And iThoughts um, has an ability to take the maps created on the iPad and transform them into a FreeMind compatible format. And then right. I can send it as an email message or use a Wi-Fi connection to deposit that map back on my laptop. And um, another interesting thing, when I'm speaking um, at a, a church event, I've mapped out my presentation and read the map on the iPad. Oh, wow. Wow, fantastic. Which is, um, it, it's really been funny when I finished a 40-minute detailed presentation 
and someone will come up from the audience and say, I, I really found that, that line of thinking fascinating. Could you, uh, you give me, I noticed you were working from something, could I have a copy of that, and I will hand them the map that I was working from, because obviously it was developed on, on a computer and I can reproduce it anytime I want. Oh wow! It is it is such an impressive tool. I'm, I'm all I as long as I've been around the tool, I always marvel at the these sort of stories. As we come to the end of uh, our conversation, Dan, what would you say to someone who maybe um, is only encountering mind mapping for the first time, who might be uh, uh, think that it's too late for them to try thinking something new? Uh, what would you say to them about um, exploring the the possibilities that mind map offers? There are a number of authors who've written some delightful texts and even workbooks that show how someone who is trying to organize their thinking or organize their experience can run through a very simple process and develop their own mind maps. They often start as just stick drawings with words on each branch of the, uh, the stick drawing. And they grow into something much more artistic and complex over time. I actually taught a course for speakers at my church. And I taught them mind mapping in 15 minutes. And said, you know, this is a much deeper and broader topic. But at the end of 15 minutes, you'll be able to develop your own map and use it to organize your thinking. So it's not all that hard to learn, but it's like... Uh, a number of things, there's no end to how far you can go with it. Brilliant, brilliant. Dan, where can we find out more about you and, and the work that you do? Well, there is a website for my company called Kuznetsky.net, which is uh, K-U-S-N-E-T-Z-K-Y dot N-E-T. By the way, please don't go to Kuznetsky.com. That's my dad's law firm. <laughs> and there is a Dan at Kuznetsky.com, but that's an attorney, and he's getting very tired of getting my email <laughs> and having to forward it. But I also am the primary contributor to a column on ZDNet.com, which is called the Virtually Speaking. So if you visit ZDNet.com and look for the column Virtually Speaking, or go to your favorite search engine and search for Kuznetsky, you'll find it pretty easily. And uh, your book, can we get your book from your website? Uh, actually, no. Uh, it is available through Amazon.com, and it's available at the publisher's website, O'Reilly.com. And just remind us of the title of the book again. It's a Virtualization, a Manager's Guide. And the, the goal of this book, uh, well, the book came up uh, from a conversation I was having with someone who was talking about the problems he was having as a manager of technical people who were using terms that he didn't really understand anymore. You know, he had been an expert earlier in technology, but was kind of losing touch with what was currently uh, of interest to people. And so he wanted something for a technical manager that would help him understand what was virtualization, what are the different aspects of it, where should it be used, where it shouldn't be used, in a simple, concise form so that he could read it 
in a very busy schedule. So this okay. is a 57-page book, ebook that's also available in print. And the whole goal is not to teach people what computers are, but to kind of give them a breakdown of what is virtualization so they can think about it more effectively and what each layer of virtualization technology does and maybe some of the, the uh, competitors who are offering that technology as part of their products. That's fantastic. Dan, um, thank you very much indeed for your time and your insight into um, virtualization and also how you have been using my mapping. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation, so thank you very much indeed. I enjoyed the conversation, and I hope that the listeners are able to find ways to use this technology and these techniques to help them achieve their goals. That's great. Thanks very much indeed. Have a pleasant day. Always. Thanks for listening to the Mind Mapping Show with Michael Tipper. If you like what you just heard, we hope you will pass on our web address, mindmappingshow.com, where you will find archives of previous podcasts as well as other mind mapping tips, tricks, and techniques, advanced guidance, and downloadable resources. This has been a Virtus Limited production. Join us next time for the next issue of the Mind Mapping Show with Michael Tipper. And be sure to tell your friends.